Psalm 102. 102. We'll finish it up tonight. A little bit of a longer psalm, and uh, we didn't take near as long to go through it. Now, you remember this guy? Uh, we think it was written about the time when Israel was taken off in captivity to Babylon. Not a happy time. And there weren't a lot of uh, happy campers and hard to rejoice in that situation. Foreign troops are occupying your land. Just think about that for a second. What, what would you think it would be like in our country if all of a sudden we're overrun by uh, Russia or the Chinese or something like that? Now we uh, have had our government collapse and uh, maybe they've blown up the Capitol and the Washington Monument, those kind of things. And uh, everywhere we look, we see foreign troops all the way around. They're watching us as we come in and out of church or in and out of our neighborhoods. Can you imagine what that must be like? And the Jews were a, a very independent and somewhat uh, stubborn and rebellious people. They were rebellious toward God, we know that. And you can only imagine what it must be like to a foreign human government. They didn't like that very much at all. And uh, can you imagine what their attitude was like just even about the covenant that they have with God? Where is he? Why did he allow this to happen? And why are these people being blessed and we're not being blessed? And you know all the rules and regulations about going into the temple? You go into the temple, you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you die. You go into the Holy of Holies, you die. And uh, even the high priest, if he were not going in there at the right time on the right day after the proper preparation, he would die. But the Babylonians go in there and God doesn't do anything. Would that kind of mess with your mind a little bit? Why is it that they're not being punished for all of this, but any of us would be? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And so uh, their mindset is not good. Now, what if somebody in your family, somebody that you like, of course, is now given notice that they're no longer going to be living here. They're going to be taken to the capital of the foreign country, uh, Beijing or Moscow, whatever the case may be. And you're probably never going to see them again. And maybe there are multiple people out of your family and out of your neighborhood and out of the church and out of the school and you know all of those kind of things. And they don't have any choice in the matter. This is what all is going on. And I think sometimes... We read those things and we know those facts and we go past it so fast. Just how would you be feeling if you were in that situation? How about if there were some children or grandchildren that you would never ever see again? And uh, how about if a prophet like uh, Jeremiah is telling you, I told you so and you wouldn't listen, that wouldn't go over real well. And then what if uh, you start getting serious and go, okay, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to you before and we threw you in that cistern, in that pit. Uh, how long is this going to last? And they go, 70 years. And you do a quick calculation and you realize you're not going to be alive in 70 years. So that means those people that are going into exile, your family members, you are literally never going to see them again. And you're not going to see the restoration of your country and the buildings that have been torn down. You will never, ever see that. And you don't know how long you're going to live, but you know it's not going to be 70 years. And now you're the one left behind, and the land is ravaged. Talk about supply chain issues. They had a lot of those. They couldn't get the things that they needed. They were poor. The people were older. 
They were unable to work the land and to attend to the farms. Things fell into disrepair. The flocks and the herds started dying off. The produce of the field wasn't coming in. I mean, it is a terrible, terrible time in Judah. And uh, these are the people who were kind of hiding behind the fact of, well, we're not as bad as the northern kingdom of Israel. God won't judge us. Well, God doesn't play those comparison games, does he? And God had been warning them over and over and over, and they killed some of the prophets that warned them. Now what do you think they're feeling and thinking? And then um, they were also kind of had it in their mind that, well, God wants to be worshipped, right? Yeah, he does. And we have the temple where he's going to be worshipped, right? Yeah. So therefore, he's not going to let anything happen to us. Maybe, again, the Assyrians would take off the northern kingdom and put them in exile, but not Judah, not down here, not where we are. We're the good guys, after all. But it happened. The invasion came, the destruction of the temple and other buildings came, the takeover of the land, uh, the king is deposed, the government has fallen and collapsed, and foreign troops have overrun the city. Just stop and think. Would you be singing the great songs of Zion? I mean, we can always kind of hope we would, and we hope that we would be better than the average bear, I guess we would say. But really? Wouldn't that be very, very difficult? So this psalmist, in the first few verses of the psalm, you remember it was, it was just depressing reading that. And then he gets to a certain point where he begins to change his mindset from where he is and what he's living in to who God is. And that kind of perks up the psalm a little bit. We looked at that for a couple of weeks. Well, now he's having a sinking spell again. And uh, we're in verse 23. You ever had a sinking spell? And you ever, have you ever noticed, like if, uh, you know, they talk about the Kubler-Ross uh, five stages of grief, uh, denial and anger and bargaining and I, I can't remember all of them right offhand but um, you know sometimes you don't go through that and go okay we had the denial part we're over that check now we've had the anger part we're over that check it doesn't work like that you kind of cycle back through those things and you may uh, get through all, all of the stages at one point and then go back to number one or number two or number four or something like that. Well, that's what's happened here. This guy's kind of sunk back into where he began. Now, he's not going to stay there, and there's something for us to think about, something for us to chew on here. But uh, verse 23, now listen to what he says. After all this great stuff about God, he weakened my strength. That doesn't sound great, does it? He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. What's going on here? I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. So, what do you think when you read that? 
Some of it's a little kind of a downer. Some of it makes you have a question mark. And then some of it is like, well, that sounds good. That sounds uh, like what I believe and sounds something like something that would perk you up a little bit. And so uh, let's take a few minutes and take a look at this. And uh, the first thing that we see here is that God is sovereign over our health. Maybe I should have said life there. But notice, he weakened my strength in the way and he shortened my days. Now don't take this as though God is going, how dare you pray to me? And, and it's gone. That's not that at all. As he's talking about this, remember all of the stresses, all of the anxieties, all of the disappointments, all of the discouragement, everything that he was facing at the first of this psalm. And it's like everything is just weighing him down. And on top of that, he's an older man now. It's not like when he was in his teens or 20s when things would roll off of his back like water off of a duck's back. This is the kind of thing now to where it's starting to affect him. Have you noticed? As you've gotten older, how stress can affect the way you feel and the way that your body functions. Never thought about that when I was a teenager. Never thought about that much in my 20s or 30s. But somewhere around 40, it started becoming more real when things would bear down on you. That's when we were having trouble in the church. And that's when I all of a sudden come down with diabetes and then high blood pressure and things like that. And it was all due to the stress. And um, things start falling apart. And you don't recover. You don't bounce back as quick as you do at other times. And sometimes you look at a photograph and you go, Who is the old guy? Oh, that's me. And uh, sometimes you're a little surprised by all of that. Because in your mind, you still see yourself as, as you were years ago. And uh, when you're uh, sitting in a chair, my dad and Papa Sam both used to say the same thing. In my mind, I can get up out of this chair and run a mile. But then they try to get up and they couldn't even get up out of the chair at that point in their life. Your mind kind of tricks you. Maybe he's talking about that and he goes, I just all of a sudden feel really, really old and tired. You ever had a spell where all of a sudden it just hit you? I don't have forever. The runway is getting shorter in my life. The time is getting shorter in my life. And things don't seem to be resolving. And it's as if he is saying here, I'm... I'm coming to the realization that I don't have as much time left as I would like to have. And I don't think it's just the judgment of God. I think it's a natural progression of life. As we get older, our strength uh, changes and our mind sometimes changes and our capabilities change. And uh, I think this is not so much him saying that the Lord just is cutting me off and judging me and all of that. I think he's just saying that uh, my life is kind of coming to an end quicker than I would want it to. And I think in the context, uh, if this is a psalm about the captivity in Babylon, uh, he's probably not one of those who has been taken. He's probably one of the ones who has been left behind. And left behind for what? Well, basically, to exist and to die. There was a man back when I was in my 20s that was in our church. And uh, he didn't have any family. He had an adopted son that lived in Missouri. And that son didn't really care about anything except his dad's money and his stuff. And he could make a trip to 
Oklahoma from Missouri to get his TV and to get his uh, bank account stuff and furniture out of his apartment, but he never seemed to have enough time or money to come visit him. And so uh, the pastor and I both, we had to uh, help this guy. We would take him to the doctor. We would take him to his different appointments, and he came down with cancer. And uh, we were the ones that had to go into his room, and we had to tell him, you're not going to be able to go home, and we've got to find a place, a nursing home for you to live. That was my first experience with anything like that, being as young as I was. And I'll never forget how awful it was to do something like that and to tell that man who had been up to a short time before. He had been independent. He had been working, uh, all of that. But now he couldn't. He could hardly breathe. He had lung cancer. And when he didn't have his oxygen, his mind was not clear. Put him on the oxygen and everything would clear up. But uh, he, he just was weak and wasn't doing well. And we said, uh, we're going to find a place for you to live. And he goes, live? He said, you mean exist? Never had that experience. I don't want to have that experience. Do you? But that's the way some people are. And I think that's kind of a good picture of where this psalmist is. It's not the kind of thing to where he says, I still believe the Lord and I still know who the Lord is. That seems to be evident in here. But I think maybe he would say to us, but I'm not feeling it right now. Because the sovereign plan of God is not leading me down the path I want to go. You ever had that happen to you? You ever said, Lord, you could change this if you want to, and it didn't seem like he wanted to. He put you on a path, and it was a path you had to go down, and you had to endure. And maybe you just looked at it, and I, I'm kind of a person like this. When it finally gets on to me that we've got to do this, okay, well, let's just get it done, and let's get it over with. But uh, this is going to drag out for a while, I've got a feeling. And uh, he's not real happy about it. And so we find here that the Lord is in charge of our health. And uh, he knows when things are going to stop working the way that they used to work or the way that we want them to work. We don't always control those kind of things. Knees go out and hips go out, shoulders go out, and uh, all of those kind of things. Eyesight fails Hearts need repair, all of that. But he's living back in a day when they couldn't fix any of those kind of things. And they didn't have much that they could do for the pain, except um, in Proverbs it says that you can give strong drink. The Jews never really were into strong drink. Uh, they were into diluted wine. But strong drink, give that to somebody who's perishing. So maybe you could take something like that, but who wants to live like that? Your knees hurt, you have trouble getting up and down out of a chair or climbing stairs or anything. And so uh, what do you do? Take strong drinks so that you can't think and you can't function right and you don't like the way that that feels. At least I don't. And uh, I always want off a of pain medicine as soon as I can get off of it because I don't like pain, but I also don't like the the hangover feeling that you get from some of the pills. Y'all are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, don't, don't do that to me. Talk back to me. And um, so this is kind of where I see the psalmist. Now, does God not know about this? Is God looking down at the psalmist and going, what's that, your knee's going out? Man, I was hoping we'd get three or four more good years out of you. It, it's not like God is doing that. But the psalmist, it's not that God is, is doing something here. It's the natural progress, 
progress of things and the psalmist is waking up to it. So when is it that you really realize that you're old? When is it that you really realize that things aren't going to get better? I don't know. And maybe you've been through that. Maybe you're going through that. I don't know. But you can identify with this guy. Things are just not looking good. Okay? And God is the one who is sovereign over all of that. He weakened my strength in the way and he shortened my days. So this is God um, working in his life, helping him, and yet at the same time, this guy needs to think about one thing and he's facing the fact, I'm not going to live forever and I'm not going to live any longer than God has planned for me to live. Don't know when that is, but it's in God's hands. And so this guy is going down uh, that particular path. So since creation, um, you think about uh, the uh, lifespan that God has given us. I saw a thing the other day. It said birthday cakes in uh, Genesis. Can you imagine 700 candles? You know, mine already sets off the smoke alarm. Uh, can you imagine if they were like that? But, you know, how did they live that long? Well, you have to stop and think. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them to live forever. And so the design of our bodies is to go a whole lot longer than they actually go right now. But uh, we can't for various reasons. And ultimately, of course, because of sin, we don't make it very far. And as you go through the Old Testament, you find that the lifespan you know, huge in, uh, you know, the early days of it. But then as time goes by, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And uh, now the psalmist says we're allotted 70 years. And if perhaps we live on past that, it's with difficulty. Uh, my dad quoted that verse at one point, And he said, if I'd known that things were going to kind of fall apart after I turned 70, I wouldn't have done it. And uh, he went on to 85 but uh, it is difficult, isn't it? And uh, he used to say, growing old is not for sissies. And uh, that's kind of the way it is. Well, that's what this guy is facing, and that's what he is uh, going through. And so it's, it's just a difficult thing. Because in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, when Paul was speaking to people in uh, Athens, he said, for in him we live and move and have our being. And that's a spiritual thing because Christ is our life and without Christ we would have no life. It's a creation thing because he is the one that made it because in John 1 it says without him nothing was made that was made. And it also is a physical thing because it's God that gives us life, the ability to move, the ability to do things. And certainly we know that diminishes with age and that doesn't catch God by surprise. God is sovereign over our health. Now, does that mean it's wrong to do whatever you can to improve your health? Not at all. I thank God for all of the people, a lot of you that have had different surgeries, heart surgery, um, knee replacements, probably got a lot of knee replacements in here, and hip replacements and things like that. I'm so thankful for that. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have lived in the days when nobody could do anything about that, when they didn't have not only the surgery, but how much does the therapy at one hand, on one hand, it hurts, but oh, does it ever, ever help? Our son Taylor is going through the therapy thing now with his uh, shoulder surgery. He's doing well and his 
therapist told him he's about a week ahead of schedule, so we're thankful for that. But it's not like it's a pleasant, easy thing, but oh, does it ever help and help mobility later on. Now, what if you lived in a day when you were just on your own? Just deal with it. Just deal with it. And your shoulders would freeze up or your knee would be stiff and, you know, different things like that. And you couldn't get any kind of relief. And you still, in order to travel, you had to, you know, hitch up a horse and, you know, those kind of things. And uh, your bed is uncomfortable because they didn't have select number of sleep beds or um, what is that uh, other one, the foam one? Um, yeah. And uh, you didn't have anything like that. And, and just, I, I just, what must it have been like? No air conditioning, uh, you no know, heat, nothing like that. Life was hard and pain was real. And uh, they had to live with it far more than we do. And uh, so that's kind of what you see in that, uh, that first point in those first verses. So that kind of leads us to the next one. God is sovereign also over healing. Now this guy is asking for healing. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God to heal. Uh, he doesn't always, but he probably does it more than we realize. We probably have situations in our life where somebody prayed for us and God took care of a situation in our life that could have been deadly, but we didn't know it at the time. We didn't realize it. We just thought, oh, well, I just got well. And we may get to heaven and find out that we were under an attack by a disease or a virus or something like that that could have taken us out, but God spared our lives and He took care of it. So don't ever be afraid to ask for it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, so you might as well ask. But uh, when we read this next verse, it says, I said, uh, Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. In the midst of my days. What does that mean? Well, maybe he is looking at the situation with the conquering army and the exile and all of that. And he's saying, Lord, if uh, I'm here, I am. Maybe he's uh, middle aged or a little older. Lord, if you would just give me a little more time, don't take me before I get to see everything restored. I have a prayer uh, that I pray every once in a while, very similar to that. And it is uh, something like this. Lord, I know you have brought revival to churches and to nations in the past. Please don't let me die until I can see you do that in our church and in our country in a phenomenal way. Uh, can you identify with that? I would love to see some of these things fixed. I would love to see them corrected. I don't really want to die leaving everything and seeing everything just the way it is for the next generation. In fact, for those of you who are my age, I'm kind of ashamed of our generation. I thought we would have done better than this. And I really, really thought that we would hand off to our children a, a better country and a better situation. But, wow, has it ever spun out of control? And you don't feel like you can do anything about it because you don't really have any power politically or monetarily or anything like that. But you do have an audience with the king. And so uh, like this guy, I pray, Lord, please, let me live long enough to see a great revival come into our nation. Another spiritual awakening like has happened before with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and 
uh, John and Charles Wesley and those people. I would love to see something like that. Every once in a while, it's like there's a little spurt somewhere, and it comes and then it goes about as fast as it uh, comes up, and we see little waves and little um, uh, you know, evidences of something happening, but not really the tsunami that we really want to see of the Spirit of God. And so uh, I can identify with this. I want to live long enough to see it. And I think that's what he's saying. I don't think there's anything wrong with desiring to live longer. And I also know this. Whenever we do find ourselves in trouble, we are supposed to preserve life. I don't think that mercy killing honors God at all. I don't think that suicide is a viable option for a child of God. Now, just in case... I get asked every once in a while, and I get surprised sometimes with the people who ask it. Maybe there's a family member or a neighbor or a friend that commits suicide, and they say, well, you can't go to heaven if you commit suicide, can you? And I say, well, I hope so. And they say, why? And I said, because Christ died for all of our sins, and that would include that. I don't recommend it, but it's covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not listed. That's Roman Catholic tradition that you can't go to heaven if you commit the mortal sin of uh, suicide. But that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Again, don't recommend it, not for it. But um, that's one of those things that's just kind of a holdover from old tradition. So anyway, um, I think life should be preserved. We ought to try to help people whenever we can. We ought to try to live as long as we can. I used to tell my dad when he would talk about things, Dad, you're not going to live a second longer than God has ordained. And you're not going to die a second sooner than he has ordained. There is a time fixed for all of that. Okay? But here's, uh, and you're invincible until that time. But here's the thing that we can do. We can control what our life will be like until that time. And so there are some things we can do in changing our diets, there are things we can do in terms of exercise. There are things we can do in getting rid of bad habits like smoking and overeating and those kind of things. And there are a lot of things we can do through surgeries and those kind of things that we've already mentioned that can improve the quality of our life. And so I would tell my dad, I think you can choose this. You can't choose when you're going to die, but uh, you can choose this. What's the quality of your life going to be? I heard someone say uh, not too long ago, do you hope you live to be 90? And of course, I was listening to a, a podcast, and so I didn't answer out loud, but I'm like, yeah, I'd be okay under certain conditions and certain circumstances. Got people in my family that have made it that far and far beyond that. My great-grandmother died at 102, and she had never spent a night in a hospital. That's pretty good, isn't it? And uh, so, I'm like, yeah, and then he, he said this. It was a doctor. He said, if you want to be able to get out of a chair at 90, you've got to make sure that you're moving at 60. Okay? I took that to heart. I took that to heart. I would like to, and I may not. Something may wear, wear out. Something may go out of place. Something may happen. Uh, don't know. But uh, I would like to be able to say, Lord, I gave it my best shot. Okay? And uh, I think the psalmist here is saying, Lord, if there's any way... I would like to live, and I would like to live long enough to see this all the way through. Now, I don't know how old this guy was. It may not have been a realistic prayer at all, okay? If he were already pushing uh, 90, probably not going to live another 70 years. 
But uh, if he's in his 20s, he's got a good shot, I would think. And uh, I don't know. We don't know how old he was or what he was going through. I kind of get the feeling, don't you, that he was a little bit older than in his 20s. And, uh, but, but whatever the case, um, he is wanting to live. And I think it's okay for you to pray, Lord, I'd like to see my children's children. Lord, I'd like to be at my granddaughter's wedding. Lord, I would like to be able to, um, you know, see a, a great spiritual awakening take place. I'd like to live long enough to see this person I've been praying for to be saved. Lord, would you, would you spare me and would you give me the opportunity to see that? I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that and I don't see any kind of rebuke to the psalmist or anything like that at all. That uh, He wants to live. He wants his life to be preserved. He's going to do whatever he can to get to that point. In uh, Acts... Uh, Chapter 5, verse 14, uh, you can look that up. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 20, verse 4, uh, it tells us a story, and I want to move on to that. In those days, Hezekiah was stricken with a terminal illness. This is the NIV, so it's a little more modern. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, visited him and told him, This is what the Lord has said. Give your household instructions, for you are about to die. You will not get well. And it says, he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, remember how I have served you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. He was a king, by the way. And how I have carried out your will. Then Hezekiah wept bitterly. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to die. God put that survival instinct in you and in me. There's nothing wrong with it. And then it says in verse 4, Isaiah had not le yet left the middle courtyard when the Lord's message came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David has said I have heard your prayer and I have seen your uh, tears look I will heal you the day after tomorrow you will go up to the Lord's temple and I will add 15 years to your life and rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria and I will shield this city for the sake of of my reputation and because of my promise to David, my servant. Well, I bet at that point Hezekiah was going, thank you, Lord, for David. Because that's the basis on which the Lord is going to heal him. The Lord said, for my glory and because of my word to David, I'm going to do this. I don't know why God put Hezekiah through that. But then again, I don't understand why God puts some of you through some of the things you go through. I don't know why he puts me through some of the things that uh, I go through except for this I do know one thing under the sovereign hand of God without those trials we wouldn't be as strong as we are without the trials we wouldn't be as holy as we are without the trials we would never make it as far as we do in sanctification it's in the hard times that we really seem to grow and it's in those stressful times where we don't understand that our faith is actually strengthened it's almost like the sun is shining upon us and uh, oh it's so great until we get inside of a tunnel 
Okay? I can't see the sun, but that doesn't mean it's not there. I don't feel the sun, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It's there. I just, because of the tunnel that I'm in, can't see it or feel it. And it's like that when we go through a trial. I saw a cartoon one time of a person walking through a valley and the sun was hidden and uh, the person was, had the wind blowing against them and it was cold. And he said this, Lord, I can't see you or feel you, but praise God, I know you're there. And that's the way it is in our life. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. Don't go by your feelings. Don't go by your circumstances. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're to give thanks in everything and to rejoice in everything, not because we think it's good, not because we feel like it, not because we even want more of it. We do it simply because we have faith in the God who is guiding us through those valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he knew David, as he wrote that in Psalm 23, he had a future, and he said, you're even going to prepare a banqueting table in the presence of my enemies. Wow, what a deal. It's going to get better. Your best life is not now, and your best days are not behind you. You've got a future because you've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. So perk up and look forward to that. And this is what the psalmist uh, could see and what he knew about. God does all of this as it lines up with his promises, as it glorifies his name, and as it fulfills his purpose for us and for other people as well. You know, when the time comes for you to die, you're going to leave a hole. You're going to leave a hole in your family, and there are going to be people that are going to miss you. Say, well, then why would God take somebody? Because it's your time to go, and uh, they need to learn to stand on their own. It's a part of their sanctification. Not, it's not just about you and what you can do. You see, our kids and grandkids and others, they've got to learn to stand on their own two feet. They've got to learn to fight their battles. They've got to learn to be tough, and they've got to learn to be strong. And have you ever noticed, sometimes we get in the way because we want to cushion the blows and we want to make things easier for them and we want to help them through and there comes a certain point to where we're not going to be around anymore to be able to do that so we ought to be training them for that now and we ought to be praying for that now because I've said this several times we don't know what the future holds for our nation for our civilization for our society for our culture that our kids and grandkids are going to have to live through they may have to go through persecution we've never even dreamed of. We need to be praying for them. We need to be a good example before them. We need to be teaching them, and we need to be holding them up. Well, how do I know when uh, it's time for them to go on and stand on their own? Because the Lord will take you home. But until then, do what you can. Be a sentry. Be a guard over them. And uh, I've talked to people as they get older and they say, what good am I? I don't know what I can do. I can't do my work. I can't be there for somebody. What do I do? And uh, there was someone I told not too long ago, you be a guard for Jesus and stand as a sentry over your family. Because you can't do anything else. But you can pray and you know how to pray. You've been praying for a long time. Your prayers are are powerful and you don't stop until the angels come to get you and you hear the words you're dismissed until then stay faithful 
Stay faithful, whatever it may be. We've got to quit finding our identity in what we can do and find our identity in Christ and what He has called us to do. As long as you have breath, you can give praise and glory to the Lord. As long as you have breath, you can pray to the Lord. And as long as you have breath, you can stand guard over your family like a sentry and scare the demons of hell to death. I hope that as all of us age and when we get to the point to where maybe people don't pay attention to us like they used to, I sure hope that we're strong enough in the Lord and in our faith that the demons of hell are scared to death of us. And my prayer is that when we go out, we go out with a shout and a shout of victory and not regret because we were faithful all the way to the end. I hope that encourages you. You always have a purpose as long as you are drawing breath. Number three. God is sovereign over generations. You know, we're all scared. Oh, what's this next generation going to do? How are they going to make it? I mean, they can't read cursive. They can't drive a stick shift. They don't know what a rotary phone is. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Okay? You know what? Your parents said that about you. Some of you baby boomers, you were hippies, and your dad looked at you and said, I don't know what that long-haired hippie freak, you know, is going to do. What was it Rush Limbaugh used to say? Long-haired, maggot and infested FM types and uh, what are they going to do do you know that's been true of every generation I read a quote one time I wish I had it where uh, somebody was talking about the next generation they're too soft they're not smart enough they can't handle things what how's the world going to survive with them and that was uh, written in the 1600s it's always been that way you never feel like the next generation is quite ready or competent they didn't have it as hard as you do. They've had it too easy, too soft, you know. I mean, hey, what about me? I never walked up here uphill both ways to school barefoot in the snow like my dad apparently did, according to the stories he would tell, right? And, um, you know, we, we think about those kind of things, and we have to remember God is God, and he is sovereign over the generations. Do you know why he gave you the children that you have? Because of his sovereign will. And the grandchildren. Well what's going to happen to them? I don't know but God does. And he'll prepare them for it. And he'll take care of them for it. And who knows. Some of the heroes that we look back on. And we say where are the heroes today? Might be in your own house. Might be one of your little grandkids. Might be God's going to use them. Like he used Luther. Or Calvin. Or Spurgeon. Or can you imagine? It gives me chills to think about that kind of stuff. And uh, we certainly pray that God uses our children and our grandchildren much more, exponentially more, than He used us, right? We want that for them. And maybe they'll be the voice of their generation. Maybe they'll be the voice of a new movement or a revival that takes place. And I sure would like to live long enough to see that, but we just don't know. And so uh, all these generations are there uh, under the Lord's sovereignty, okay? And uh, so that's why when we read this verse, he talks about uh, being over the generations. Your years are throughout all generations. God is not senile. God has not used up any of his power. And it's not like God had a lot going on several generations ago, but now he's sort of fizzled a little bit, and he's grown weary of it, and he's gotten distracted. Not true at all. Your... Uh, uh, our years are throughout all, your years are throughout all generations. And of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. How old is God? Old enough to 
have put the universe into place, old enough to lay the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even those ones we can't even see and the ones we haven't found yet, God knows them, and God put them all together. Are there UFOs? I have no idea. But God does, and it really hadn't affected our life any. I haven't seen any green men lately or flying saucers or anything like that. But I do know that God hasn't told us about alien beings and that kind of stuff, life on other planets, but he has told us that he loves us, and he has told us that he'll never leave us, and he'll never forsake us, and he has told us that he'll take care of our kids, and he'll take care of our grandkids with the same promises that we claimed. Those are still in effect for your little grandchildren and for your great-grandchildren, and on and on it'll go until the Lord returns. So there's a different people that is going to be living in the future generations. But same God, same Bible, same promises. His word never changes. And his plan is carried out perfectly. And his uh, power is undiminished. Undiminished. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You realize what he's saying? If I did change, if I were fickle and all of that, you'd be dead. Because I wouldn't put up with you. But he doesn't change. He loves us with an everlasting, constant love. And the sin that we commit has been paid for by the cross and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is settled for time and eternity. I'm the Lord, I do not change or else you would be consumed. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And of course, the answer to that is, of course he's not going to change it. He's going to do everything he said he is going to do. He is going to do everything according to his word. And uh, as you've heard people say before, God never has a plan B because it's not necessary. There are no contingencies in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it is going to be when it's all said and done. And the fourth thing here, God is also sovereign over the times and the seasons. Why are we living in these times? Because God has ordained it, and God has put us in these times and God is sustaining us in these times. And God is using us as salt and light in these times. I don't like it. It's not my choice. But this is the way it is. And so we live here and we accept it. And we accept our assignment. And we stand firm in the Lord and strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We put on our armor even if we don't want to. And we go marching off to war following the Lord Jesus Christ. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before, right? And so we uh, think about all that we do. We have this assignment, and we have the Lord himself, and we have his power. And so he takes us into some places where I'd rather not march going uphill. Can we not have a downhill march? I'd rather not march in the desert. Can we have a cooler place to march? I'd rather not march in this muddy, boggy ground. Can we not have a firm footing as we march? But we have to trust Him. 
The shepherds have to move the sheep every once in a while because they eat grass all the way down to the roots and the pasture dies if they let the sheep eat it all down. So they have to move to another place. So that's why the psalmist says, He leads me into green pastures because we can't stay where we are. We've got to move. Well, I liked it here and I like the flavor of the grass here and there seems to be plenty to me. Yeah, but if we don't get out of here, then uh, there won't be enough for later and this won't be a pasture anymore it'll turn to a desert so he moves us on but he never said when he takes us to the green pastures that it was going to be easy to get there huh he never promised you a rose garden did he sometimes as you go from green pasture to green pasture you have to cross a river and there are crocodiles in that river sometimes as you go from a worn-out pasture to a new green pasture, sometimes you have to walk through a desert. It's hot. And man, that sand, it's hard to walk in sand. You ever done that? Sometimes in order to get there <coughs> from the worn-out pasture to the green pasture, oh man, sometimes you run into wolves and bears and lions like David had to kill in order to protect the flock. Sometimes you have to go through that. Why did we have to leave... You know, it kind of reminds me of the children of Israel. Oh, that we would have stayed in Egypt. Right? How dumb can you be? Well, sheep aren't very smart. And they stink, too. So uh, when the Lord calls you sheep, He's not complimenting you. And uh, that's the way we are. And you may be right now in between pastures. It may be that the Lord brought you out of one pasture because it was fixing to run out and you need a fuller one over here. But boy, getting there is rough. Man, it's rough. And that's where, again, we've got to walk by faith. I know people don't like to hear that, but you've just got to trust God and you've got to hold tightly to His hand. All the way my Savior leads me. Remember that hymn? What have I to ask beside and uh, it, it talks about his tender mercies who through life have been my guide. And that's what we walk and that's what we live in as we go through all of this. And so the generations are all going to perish. Everybody's going to die, even us. But he says here, but you, the Lord, will endure. And yes, they will all grow old like a garment. That's you, me, that's even our grandchildren. They're going to get old someday. And like a cloak, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Praise God for that. And when we get to heaven, we'll be there with people many, 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 many generations older than us. And we're going to have the same testimony. Jesus led me all the way. Praise His name. And we're going to be there with the generations that come after us. And we're going to go, man, I can't believe you guys made it. I can't believe you guys were able to handle it. And there's going to be somebody older than us go, yeah, it's what we thought about you too. But it's not about us. It's about our God who sees us all the way through. And He will be faithful because He never changes. And from everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says, thou art God. In Genesis 15 verse 13 you think about what all God knows about what we're going to go through. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. You know what he was just predicting to Abraham? 
your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt. How hard would that be to take for a guy like Abraham? Where's this blessing stuff? What's going on here? But God assured him, I'll be faithful and I will bring them back to this land that I have given you. And even today, we can go to Israel and we can see the descendants of Abraham in that land. Even today, all of these thousands of years later. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to look at. And uh, in uh, Genesis 20, verse 20, think about this. When Joseph met with his brothers in Egypt, he said, As for you, you uh, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about many people, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, when God uh, caused Egypt to have grain during those years of famine so that the brothers could come over there, he wasn't just saving the brothers and saving Jacob. He was saving the bloodline of Jesus Christ when he did that. How many times would the bloodline have been cut off and there would have been no Messiah, there would have been no Savior had the devil had his way or if God didn't know what was happening he would have been caught off guard and there we go, we're bound for hell for eternity. But it didn't happen because God always knows what the future holds and what these other generations are going to go through. You say, well that's a bad thing. Yeah, they mean it for bad but God is able to mean it for good. And in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store, uh, store cities for all of the grain of uh, Python and Ramses. And uh, you think about all of that, and you think about even the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. Did God know everything that was going to happen to him? Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 says, Jesus delivered up according to, listen to this, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, it's wonderful that we have a God who says, I know what you're going to go through, and I know exactly where you will be. I know exactly what it will be like. I'll give you strength. I'll walk with you through it, and you will come about and come out on the other side. Whether you're a, uh, an Israeli that's a descendant of Abraham, whether you are listening to Moses, whether it's, you're a descendant of Joseph, or whether you are the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. God is in control of all of these things. So just conclude with me that when you or a loved one begin to decline, I want you to do something. Some of you remember Wayne Robinson. How many of you remember Wayne Robinson? Say amen. Some of you don't. Some of you do. Do you remember when he got his cancer and he stood in front of the church and he said, pray for me, but whatever happens, it's a win-win situation. If I get healed, I win. If I die, I win. Think about that. You're always in a win-win situation with Jesus, aren't you? 
and uh, not only think about uh, him and uh, what he said, but pray for healing and remember that God has a set number of days for everyone. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And remember that his plan is not dependent upon us. Uh, God has a wonderful plan. I sure hope I can live up to it. That, he's, that's never in the scripture. God does his plan with or without you because he is powerful and he is faithful to all of his words. So are you resting, fully resting in him and in his grace tonight? If not, why don't you? And why don't you lay all your anxieties at the foot of the cross? Why don't you lay all of your hang-ups and all of those kind of things and put them on the cross and nail them to the cross and say, Jesus, I'm dying to all of this because I'm dying to self. And let his life flow through you. And let your faith be strengthened. And just remember all of the wonderful things that are in your future. Maybe rough getting there, but eye has not seen and ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So my question is, how many of you love Jesus tonight? Amen? Amen? You've got a wonderful future ahead of you, and God will not fail his children. Praise God for that. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight that even when we waver, you're faithful. When we're faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself, Paul told Timothy. And we thank you for that. Forgive us for the times when we, maybe like this psalmist, I don't know, but it seems like he kind of wavered back and forth, but so do we. And there are those times when we are just, we seem to be just really, really high on everything, and we're up, and we're praising God, and we're rejoicing, and it seems like we'll never be the same again, and then not too long after that, something happens, somebody says something, somebody does something, or somebody doesn't do something, and all of a sudden we come crashing down. And I thank you, Lord, that you're there to catch us. And I thank you that you're there to carry us and to help us to heal, and you're there to bless us so that we can rejoice in you again. Forgive us for being so wobbly. Forgive us for being so inconsistent. Forgive us for being so off and on and so hot and cold. We want to serve you, and we'd like to do it consistently, but we can't. But you can, and we pray you would do it through us by filling us with the Holy Spirit, filling us with faith and making our faith to be stronger. And we thank you that you guide us. We thank you that you're with us in our trials, and we thank you that you even prepare us for our trials, even when we don't know we're being prepared. So we, all we can do is say hallelujah and thank you, Lord Jesus. It's wonderful and it's a pleasure to walk with you. It's an honor to walk with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.